0: Hi everyone and welcome back to RPG R&D. I'm one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I'm one half of Wannabe Games and I make tabletop role-playing games. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig.
1: Hi Jess, I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games and I make tabletop role-playing games. And I've realized now 90-some episodes into this that it sounds an awful lot like the beginning of a support group. Mm. um <laughs> where you introduce yourself and you say that you are you know suffering from this or dealing with that or whatever um but uh yeah we 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 do that we 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 do support each other so that's good too this, yeah uh, this is a support group <laughs> it, it kind of is um and we have a guest with us here returning after uh having a hard time getting uh her scheduled uh, uh last time around we were kind of looking uh but hi Sarah
2: Sure, Hi. Sure. <laughs> Sorry, my okay. schedule did catch fire for about six months.
0: Okay, so <laughs> we're back. It's good to be busy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, no, we can be less busy. It's okay.
0: <laughs> well, tell us about yourself, Sarah.
2: My name is Sarah, and I have been a professional Dungeons and Dragons game master for about five years now. I've been designing for about three including working on Level Up, which is an advanced version of the 5th edition rule set that stands completely on its own and is completely separate from Wizards of the Coast. But if you know 5e, it's really, really fun. And I also, in my day job, am getting a PhD while working full-time, which is why no one heard from me for <laughs> a while.
0: Oh, wow. It's a miracle that... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you had any sort of schedule at all. But I passed
2: my comprehensive exams. So we're moving along in the process. And I'm a person again. It's good.
0: Good. I'm glad.
1: <laughs> I've been through the master's thesis process. So um not terribly different. Um, yeah. just as far as how just it just eats up your life. It's for just a everything of
0: time. you're doing. Yep. Oh, academia. Oh, Craig. Academia. <laughs> Craig, what are we talking about today?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Let's figure that out. Could you do me a favor and roll a D10?
0: Wait, you want me to roll a D10?
1: Yes, please roll a D10.
0: Okay. Let me get a random die roller here. I got an eight.
1: We're going to talk about random tables. Eight says random tables.
2: (laughs) What do one through seven and nine and ten say?
1: They all say variations (laughs) of the word random tables. Tables do random. (laughs) Tables of the random variety. Um, um, 10 says total party kill, so we don't get to talk about okay. that today, <laughs> but yeah, we're gonna talk random tables because, um, they are random tables have been a part of role playing games since the earliest versions of all. Uh, you know of D and D, and then of many of the the games that came out after D and D, there were always like random tables that were used for a lot of different things. The most common one that we all kind of recognize, if we've played those games, is uh, the the random treasure tables or the random encounter tables for like when your characters are traveling or so forth, so forth. Um, but there's random tables for damn near anything. I found myself thinking about like. Game books that I've looked through at times, and there's like, if you can think of it, if it's if it's something that you could design, um, and you can sum you can summarize it in a concept like a a single sentence to say like this is what this thing is. There's probably been a random table for it at some point where you could do it for like darn near anything. So I thought we could talk a little bit about um, and this was actually Sarah's idea. This 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 topic has been sitting for a while, and Sarah picked it. Um, uh. And talk about uh, how we as GMs can utilize random tables that are presented to us in the game material or to create our own um, to use in the game. Because having, um, you know, a bunch of stuff ready to go on a random table and just like letting the dice fly (laughs) and see where you go can be a lot of fun.
0: Sarah, what's your experience using random rolling tables as as your experience as a professional DM or otherwise?
2: Well, that's why I picked this topic, because the first things that I ever published were random encounter tables. Uh, I created a bunch of different themed random encounters that didn't involve combat, because the moment combat got involved, you have to be system-specific. You have to be often level-specific you it just gets a lot more complicated Mm -hmm. and I wanted something that was a really easy light lift um my laptop had actually broken and so I was like well I have 700 hole in my budget because my hard drive just went fry. so what can I write (laughs) pretty easily pretty quickly but it's going to be useful um and they're still on dm's guild and they're still like ridiculously popular even though they're pay what you want like they make for a little like side piece of passive income. So I love random tables. And I think they're sometimes done really well, and I think they're sometimes not done great. And I think some of the reluctance around using them comes from either them not filling the ecosystem niche that they're really supposed to, or just like not fitting them into the structure of the game that you the way you want them to. But I love them as a tool, I think they're great. All the random tables so I was really excited to see it on the thing.
0: I've also used a lot of random tables when I've been a GM. Uh, I find them to be a nice way to shift the cognitive load from myself to a random number That's nice, mm-hmm. especially if I didn't have to design the encounter table or the the random location table or whatever it is by myself um, and like whenever I give out treasure or things like that I'm always using. A random encounter table uh but i wonder like for me like you said sarah the difficulty is finding one finding a table that works with my game because mm-hmm. i'm not gonna make i'm not gonna make a random table by myself probably because otherwise i'll just give them a thing to do uh to kind of defeat support purpose for me but how can i how can i as a gm find something that's gonna feel good in my game
2: I think it really depends. Certainly some niches are really overrepresented and some are really underrepresented, right? (laughs) Like you can find a zillion and one magic item, random tables, and those are great. And I love them honestly, because especially if I could filter by level, then I don't have to do a bunch of math on the back end. I can just roll and see what they come up with. But I think that there's some niches where random tables, you kind of do have to have them in hand in advance. And I like, one of the things that we did for Level Up that I really liked was we had random encounter tables by region. So it wasn't a universal random encounter because then you have to be like really, if you're really creative to work out why something that lives in an Arctic environment is now rampaging through a tropical (laughs) forest, right? Like why did that that makes no sense. Yeah. Why, why is, there is there a
0: polar bear on this island? I was
2: about to say <laughs> so, that! <yeah. laughs> is this a real example? <laughs> Did this happened.
1: Oh, it's it, lost. It's from Lost and they took oh. five season five seasons later they explained it.
2: Yeah, like that's
1: <laughs> or three seasons later.
2: That's a lot, you know? So <laughs> yeah. having really specific means for random encounter tables and then just having them ready to go for like situations, I think is more helpful than trying to have a random encounter table that fits all niches because it just won't and that includes like flavor of game right sci-fi random encounter tables totally different than fantasy so you do kind of end up being in a space where I wouldn't say you have to write your own but you do have to be really thoughtful about the ones you select and if you have ideas that's how I started creating them was just I have a notebook that I use for everything I would just jot down had a page dedicated to random encounter ideas around a theme and i'd be at work and i'd be like oh this would be fun you know and that lowers the lift a lot for coming up with an interesting random encounter table the other thing that i see is people think it has to be a d100 it does not have to be a d100 make it a d4 d6 like way lower it down and then if you have say 1d6 is this monster maybe and 1d6 is a situation, right? So I have, you know, I don't know, owl, bear, gnoll, orc, goblin, whatever. And then I have stuck in a hunter's trap, looking to for a fight, mm. interacting with another one of its species, interacting with another one of a different species role again. Then I've just made so many more options for myself without having to create a bunch of different permutations.
0: Yes, using the statistics in your favor when it comes to <laughs> the roles. I, I think that's that's a really good way to do it. It also kind of makes it feel like I don't know. It's that would be better feeling for me to roll on than each individual permutation being on a list. Yeah. I don't know. It I don't it feels more random even if it wouldn't have been more random. <laughs> But it feels better, you
1: know. Yeah. And sneaking in
2: rolls again is always a good time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of the uh, like the double die type of thing where you describe, like, you know, what you described, Sarah, was what some people refer to as the D66, even though it's not 66 permutations. Oh, I have heard that. It's yeah, a, you know, roll a D6, and that puts you onto six different tables, or you have two tables with a with a with a six and a six. Um, and I think the the D66 is usually like the, the where there's 36 outcomes right depending on the order that or no oh, there's not 36 but there's um whatever the number is i don't know i tell um, stories and I'm doing 20 that. something. but yeah it's like you know do you get a one and a two a one and a one a one and a three a one and a four or one and a five or a two and a one a two and a two a two and a three you know yeah in that order um and you uh you can uh you know so you can you can tailor it based on like what two different dice you put together. So you don't need to have a list of a hundred. Exactly. You can have a list of, of, you know, some weird number that just happens to be what gets produced from, uh, from two dice together like that. Um, Or just like Sarah was saying, where you roll um, to get like different components of Mm -hmm. the, um, of the encounter or different components of the, whatever, like I've, uh, I've also done, random tables where I I enjoy random tables that are V shaped or U shaped Mm -hmm. um, where you're doing, you know, roll two dice and add them together. So, or, or roll three dice and add them together. So you get a V, you know, the V curve or the bell curve where you put like the more common things that you might run into quite a lot in the middle of the hump, you know, like if we're talking 2d6 add them together, like the six, seven, eight is where the, you know, those are the most common, but then like the, the, the two and the three and the 11 and the 12 are,
2: Really rare. Weird
1: and rare. And so when they come up, they're really interesting. Um, And they don't come up very often.
2: Which I think is a more elegant design way than having, because sometimes encounter tables will have bands. So, you know, 5 to 7 on a D10 might be one result. But I think it's more, it's just more elegant to have the dice do it for you. And (laughs) seven's the most common of 2D6. It always is going to be. So how can you use that to your advantage? It's just stylish, you know.
0: It doesn't really make a difference, but it just—it's just fun. <laughs> uh, getting a—that's a little into the design side of things, um, which I think is fine because, as we've said so many times before, being a GM and being a designer are often hand in hand. Um, I don't feel like there's any GM out there who hasn't uh, designed something a little mm-hmm. bit for their game at least. Um, how um, once you once you find a good table that like kind of fits thematically how do you introduce these elements into your story like okay i rolled on my table and i found because we're we're in a a, we're in a jungle exploration game and we found an ancient temple filled with birds how am i incorporating this into the general overall story that my players are going through they have i have no idea now what to do with this giant temple filled with birds (laughs) um And now I have to come up with something maybe a little bit more on the spot, especially if the table doesn't tell me more about it. What do I do? Well, that's
2: the art of it. Right. Like the math is the math. But I think there's a couple of different ways, depending on how comfortable you are with improv. I'm a very improv heavy DM. I am a pantser like we don't plan, Uh, but someone else may not be. So if the idea of like rolling it and being like oh god how do I fit this into my yeah is that if that's stressful for you then you probably need to roll your random encounters ahead of time there's nothing wrong with doing that you know okay roughly they're gonna be traveling through this jungle to this session and at the end I want them to get to you know the coast because that's where they're meeting the pirates whatever but I need random encounters rolling them ahead of time and just thinking about some through lines is fine, right? Like not everyone is a comfortable with improv DM. That being said, connecting the dots, I think is one of the really fun things about random encounters because they don't necessarily go in the ways that you expect. And this is, I'm thinking about my experience as a player here, actually just last week, my DM is phenomenal. Like, he rolled a random encounter for one of the uh, one of the party members to get possessed by a ghost, which is a great one, but he connected it to our larger conflict. The ghost was a child who had been killed by our big bads. And through this like really role-play heavy, like very emotional scene, we get to learn a little bit more about the human cost of our big bad, which is brilliant, right? Like, That's such a shining example of taking the story in a way that just you wouldn't necessarily think to write that into your story, but now it's there. So I think those are examples, but I think like the ways more ways you can connect a living world to the random encounter. It doesn't necessarily have to relate to the main plot, but it could. And it could be really subtle tie in like, yeah, this girl had her parents were taken and she died. And that's not the like plot part of the story but it's part of the world and that was really cool
0: yeah something that can tie in thematically even just like oh we've been dealing a lot with revenge in our story maybe we could tie something in thematically to that like you said even if it's not related to the main plot because sometimes in real life you also do just encounter weird things that have nothing to do with anything (laughs) so i think that's all good also i i feel like if you let your players start to make stuff up about Mm -hmm. like make their own thoughts like ooh what does this have to do with anything because when we get into player mode and our gm is presenting us a story we we tend to think that the random things are not random unlike in real life i mean even in real life people like to think that the random things that happen in their life are coincidences Mm -hmm. that matter (laughs) even though that's not always the case um but (laughs) but your players will be especially creative with that and they might give you a really good idea so you don't even necessarily need to do it ahead of time yeah <laughs> they'll do it for you in real time and then you can just steal their ideas and pretend that they were real all along oh yeah and then they
2: feel so smart yeah and you're like yeah you guessed my plan mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had a few thoughts uh the what what, what I've found that like with, with the improv thing right the one of the things that it's easiest to lose track of when you're improvising especially if you're if you're kind of new to it or not comfortable with it or you know um have players who, um, are very good with it, so they might be a little intimidating sometimes, is to just keep in mind what your game is about and what your characters do and what matters to them and find one of those little things to put into that, for example, temple in the middle of the jungle that's filled with birds. You know, do, are, do the character are the characters are traveling somewhere? Do they need something? Is there a tool or a magic item or something that they're after, a piece of information? Well, it's in that temple now. Do the characters have a, you know, an inter interpersonal issue that needs to be worked out? This is one of Jess's favorite things. It's just to have the 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 scene where it's mm-hmm. just characters working out their stuff, like yeah. working out their issues with each other. You could literally just have that you know checking out, we're going to oh, we'll, we'll go check this out. And there's nothing in there more than other than things that are going to make the characters deal with their problems that they have with each other or get one of them to profess their love for the other one or whatever it is that's like breoing under the surface.
0: <laughs> what do you mean this hall of mirrors is going to make me self-reflect?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um and you know you can sometimes too if you've got the if you if you've got some things prepped. Um, and you had like, oh, I've got this encounter that I'm planning to have the characters eventually get to. And it suddenly occurs to you that, Hey, having that encounter in this temple with all these birds, and I will just reskin the monsters that I had in there as birds. They're exactly the monsters I had, but now they fly. Yeah. And that's the Actually, difference. Actually,
0: that's honestly terrifying. <laughs> I am already kind of afraid of birds. <laughs> I live in Chicago <laughs> right by the lake. Um, okay, and the, the birds, the geese, the geese they're scary they you should be afraid of geese they are also starting to make their nests and they're being extra territorial yeah a random temple in the middle of the jungle filled filled with uh birds would would get me bird monsters (laughs) Yeah.
2: or they maybe the birds aren't a threat like that's the other thing is random encounters that aren't combat can be Mm -hmm. simply settings and beautiful unusual things like i'm thinking of Okay, not to be a huge nerd, but the extended version of Lord of the Rings, right? Like, they've got the scene where the sunlight falls on the statue of the fallen king. And, you know, the king has a crown again. That has nothing to do with the plot. But it sets the feeling so profoundly well, right? Mm -hmm. That could be enough. Like, you're wandering through this jungle and you're surrounded by this ancient culture that is not yours it may be one of the the people in the group is but usually you know you're adventuring somewhere that's not your home this is unusual to you and then you step into this massive ruined space and it's this feeling of awe right or you're traveling through a really threatening jungle and then you see this ominous looking temple and then you hear creepy parrot's voice probably wants a cracker <laughs> like totally different vibes than I Jess just set is up gonna for you. Flip out. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: can you imagine like just hearing all the different bird voices saying different or, things or,
1: like, or, no, or, no. or flip that Sarah you're traveling through an incredibly dangerous um jungle and you're constantly fighting for every inch and the temple is the only place of respite but if you stay there the things are eventually going to come inside um, so that's the, like, you can actually go in there and like, you know, in, you know, if it's D and D you might be, that's where you take your short rest. You like, that's where you regroup, where, where you make a plan, um, where you couldn't stop and wait to do that. Cause something is following you out in the jungle. There's a lot of different ways that we can use that temple. And that's, that's the beauty of like the random table. The beauty of the random table is that it's just, you know, it's, it's a shell. It's something that you can, can work anything into. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to make sense because usually in these games, things don't. Really always makes sense. If you can come up with something that really makes perfect sense, that's great. That's great world building. But sometimes it's just weird, wacky, random stuff that's in there. And another thing I had a thought on too you roll for the random, okay, we've got this temple with all the birds in it. And you look to the players and you say, each of your characters has heard of this place. What have you heard that is in there? And let them each give you a suggestion. And then you roll randomly. To determine which one is actually in there, and then they go and explore and it pays off for somebody. Because like we, as we as we as we've talked about, when you tell the players, when you give the players free reign to describe something, it's because it's something they want to see or do or interact with. If you ask them like what's what's the interest, what's the interesting feature of this location? They're going to give you something, like if it's something that can be climbed, it's because probably because they want somebody to climb it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah, random tables within random tables. It's random tables all the way down.
2: <laughs> but no, I just I think that going back to what Craig said about the uh, the feeling that you want to create for your game, you could the way you spin whatever you're given really really changes how it feels for the players. Like you can take the whatever's on that table and just make it feel emotionally very very different. And that's part of the art of running them
0: well too. I, w- I wanted to bring this up to you before we move on to sort of the design side. I have been playing. Um, I-, I really like one player games. Like a one person mm. solo TTRPG is so fun. And most of the solo TTRPGs that I've played have relied heavily on essentially what is a random table. I can't think of any that I've played that that really doesn't rely on a random table of some sort. And Every time I go into it, I think like uh, it's just going to be like rolling a bunch of random tables. It's going to be it's going to be what it is. It's fine. I like it, but it's not going to be a story. It's not going to let me. And then I end up writing pages upon pages of a journal for like some <laughs> random character that I've created. And it's helped me flesh out a world that was like never even necessarily intended on the part of the author of the game. And this has happened with like I feel like every single solo RPG that I've played. Like I played um, I, I helped play test. Secrets of the Viron Isle. and like, Well,
1: that's just one big continuous random table. Yeah, it's just <laughs> random tables. It's, it's 76 pages of random table.
0: Yes, and <laughs> random encounters. And yep. even though they're not necessarily connected into this overall story, I was able to make a good story by connecting coincidences together. Because again, as a human, your brain is just searching for patterns. Um, and I've been playing Apothecaria recently. And the first random encounter i got was i bumped into the ruler of the underlands and i was like oh perfect now i have a boyfriend in my game and like it just went on from there and it was it it was just i think random tables can kind of invoke that sort of fancy like the fancy as in like the whimsical nature of a game that i think a lot of us are we try to explore when we're playing because that's you know don't we all want the moment in a role-playing game that is super cinematic and cool and makes everyone go, oh my gosh. Like you want that as a player, you want that as a GM. I don't know. I just really like random table.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you highlight a good point in that like your brain, you're expanding off of a lot of things and being very creative with what's presented to you. And I think that it's easier to be creative when there are rules. If, there's a, if I'm given a blank page, like we all know nothing's scarier than the blank page, right? But if I give you a prompt, then it's easier to be really creative with it. So I think that's one thing that random tables can really provide is some bounds within t- which you can be more effortlessly creative than you could if there were no bounds at all.
0: That's such a good point. Like I I loved giving prompts to my students when I taught English language writing, um, English language arts, because it always came up. They always came up with something way cooler. And if I Mm -hmm. said, right, they would sit there and look at me like I was a monster for asking them to do so. No, that's a really good point. It takes the cognitive lift off of you creatively. So you have more creative juice to
1: be creative (laughs) Yeah. How many uh, times
0: can I repeat the word creative?
1: <laughs> I, I want to design a game where I have random tables for encounters all over the place and I just call them springboards.
0: Ooh. Um,
1: make a roll on the springboard table. Um, because that's what they are. They're just yeah. they're just gonna get you started. They're gonna launch you in a direction. Um, how you fly through that f- through the air in that direction, how you land, how it goes for you when you land, that's kind of all going to be resolved in the course of playing the game. Yeah. But it gets you it gets you going
0: yeah so how can we do this as designers how can we how can <laughs> oh. we design a, a really good we talked about some math already we already got into some some wondrous math you can do this with cards apothecary is a card playing game yeah um and as craig will be happy to tell you cards can do so many things
1: <laughs> cards are great playing cards are awesome they're so versatile
2: yeah
1: because <laughs> well, we card
2: suits have- and Cards have one other benefit is that if you draw something and discard it, it's no longer in your table. Mm-hmm. If you roll, you always do you ignore re-rolls. Do you have to then keep track of what you yep. rolled? Cards, set it aside. It's gone. Done.
1: The uh, the number, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but it was described on QI, um, the uh, panel show from from England, which is the number of possible shuffles of a 52-card deck is the equivalent of if you had a a trillion suns and around each sun, there was a trillion planets and on each planet, there was a trillion people and every one of those people shuffled their deck of cards 5,000 times a second since the beginning of the Big Bang Theory, the Big Bang. That's how many combinations you have.
0: That's wild. I don't like that. So when you play it,
1: so when, and it's not, it may not be exactly that number, but the number is so exceedingly huge. That's what it is. And it's something like that. And that's when you just playing this, playing, playing this card in favor of playing, using playing cards for randomizers is that, you know, your shuffle, like every time you play the game, that's how many different variations there are of that deck that you have sitting in front of you and the possibilities of the things that are going to come up. That's why it's so nearly random. Whoa.
0: So Craig would recommend having <laughs> cards as your truly random table. You just kind of broke my brain there. I'm
1: not going to lie. I can that? look up the specifics. I don't remember. But it's something like that. It's it's ridiculous.
0: Too big. Too big yeah. of a number. Yeah. I Yeah, I really liked how Apothecary does the cards. They The game doesn't actually tell you when to shuffle. So it's kind of. Up to you when to decide. So I did it after every... Apothecary is a game that you play where you, you pretend to be a person who is taking over for a witch who is gone, is missing. We don't know where where this witch is at the beginning of the game. You might find out as you keep playing the game. Um, and you're just taking care of the villagers who get themselves in all sorts of, of hard troubles is what happens. And uh, I just reshuffle after every week in the game. I don't know if that's what I'm supposed to do, but it doesn't tell me. So I have things will repeat just not that week. Um, and I thought that that was really that was a fun way to play that game. I I think um, Sarah, when you were designing your random tables, like how did you first get into it and decide what you said random encounters without the the combat and you gave the reason for that? Like what have you done since then? And how did you decide to do it?
2: So I really liked the non combat because it was it was specifically about filling a niche for my games, honestly, which was I give you like, you know, two options within the storyline that I have thought about and they pick the third one. And I have to go, oh crap. Right. (laughs) So I give them something really unique and unusual that they're gonna then chew on for a while, right? Something that that I can then The players can discuss and be like, oh, wait, no, that tree's got a glowing light in it. Do you think it's a portal? No, don't touch it. Don't touch it. I'm going to touch it. Don't touch it, right? (laughs) And meanwhile, I'm sitting over here like figuring out what comes next, right?
0: (laughs) So that's really fun. With my luck, Sarah, I would get the player who sees the magic glowing tree and without thinking immediately says, maybe I don't even finish my sentence, says I touch it. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but carry on with what
2: you're saying. Well, then you can just be like, are you sure? And I then they're back question. to being like, oh, wait, no, I don't know. No, I'm not sure. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even have to know if it does anything. Maybe it's a, maybe it's sticky, right? Maybe it's just like a glowing firefly sap and it's sticky and other stuck to the tree, right? Could be harmless. Um, but But yeah, like that gave me time to go figure out what was going to be next and that was why i specifically chose non-combat because it was easy to run without any prep for me i think as i've designed more and more random encounter table more random tables in general i try to give as much evocative description in as few words as possible and i'm gonna preface all of this by saying this is so subjective right if you love random tables done completely differently Go, Godspeed, love that for you. This is how I do it and how it works for me. And there's probably people who agree with me and probably people who are like, no, I would like to do them differently. And there are designers who are going to do it differently and that's fine. So it's all very subjective, right? But the more evocative description I can give in like a few, I don't even like full sentences, right? I like like a sentence fragment, like really short, really evocative. That I think to me gets the most And then again, I really like combining the D66 table, I suppose, but combining it however I can to give more and more permutations, to give it more and more variety, because particularly from a design standpoint, right? Random tables can take up a ton of layout Mm. for what really. So the more options I can give you in a much smaller space, I think that's better. Again, that's really subjective right some people love a book full of random tables that's just here's how you build a settlement go some people love that i'm <laughs> well, not that person so much
0: you sometimes people also have to have their random tables within whatever adventure module that they are also publishing too and you have to you do have to think about the space i i didn't i didn't even think about how layout has to factor into how many yeah. things you include on it
2: but it's low on word count it's low it's, on it's word true. count. So if you're writing for someone else, usually they give you words and a random table is very few words.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe people who write random encounters should be paid by the, <laughs> paid <laughs> by the option. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I didn't even think about that. Like the the fact that you are limited in your amount of choices because you're limited by the amount of options that can come into play with your randomizer. Because if you're only rolling d20s in your game, and that's the only that's the only die you have in your game, you have to do some sort of permutation of twenty. You yep. can't do a six now. Um, you can maybe do a ten, but you could do
2: ten. You could do a five.
0: <laughs> well, I I guess you could also do the thing that you were talking about earlier, like seven to ten gets you yeah. this thing. But at that point, I don't know. Six that isn't going to divide
2: well though, because no. you're going to have one, a couple that are slightly larger.
0: Right right it won't be as random there will be some hmm yeah
1: it uh, it gets it's one of those things when you're designing a random table it gets into there's so many different little things that you find yourself thinking about the space and the words and you know how many i found with code warriors there's a in, in the game you're playing programs living in a computer world you live in a world that is an eight by eight grid with 64 sectors um and as the apocalypse continues sectors get affected as you go through different collapse phases there's four collapse phases in the game so every time there's a collapse phase bump something happens to a certain number of sec- sectors and there's a table to determine you you roll two you know a d8 and a d8 to pick the sector on the grid and then you roll on a table to determine what the thing is and the guiding light of that was how many interesting things can i come up with that i can fit onto this table for for interesting things to ha- happen to to the sectors and then how can i make that work with only the only having a d8 available to me
2: Ooh. i could have
1: multiple d8s but that's the only die that's used in the game that's awesome and it turned into a table that ran from 2 to 12 because there's four collapse phases 1 through 4 so you roll a d8 and you add the collapse phase Oh, okay. So when you're in the first collapse phase you're getting the less disruptive effects that are going to screw around with the the different parts of the map and by the time you get to the last collapse phase you're rolling on the high end of the table up in the you know 9s 10s 11s and 12s and that's where the really devastating stuff is because the apocalypse has gotten so bad that it's like wiping out entire sectors that doesn't happen really until cool. later that's fun, and so yeah, it becomes. And I've done stuff like that with with two d six, you know, add them, add them up kind of things too. Like, what do you put in the middle, and what goes? How many things can you fit? Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, that are interesting. Because now, now with a table that's like, you know, a random uh, monster. If you've got a lot of monsters to choose from, you can make a monster table that's super long. Um, and it's really just a question of like when you want to cut off the limit, um, and what what the what the total number of options is going to be on the table. But like with smaller tables that are very like you only have so many options, you kind of have to. You start with that before you figure out how big the table is going to be. You let the table be the size it needs to be,
2: or potentially don't. And this is so I'm also because I'm bonkers getting. I'm working on a graphic design certificate because I love suffering and also school. <laughs> um, but one of the things that we had to do was create a bunch of different monograms, right? Just take your initials and make like hundreds of them, like make take a random household object and draw it like dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And the goal there is to get you out of the predictable things, the representative, the like kind of your normal style and into thinking more creatively and expansively. So potentially, if you say to yourself, all right, I'm designing this region in my world. I'm designing this aspect of my game and I'm going to make it a really big table. And then you can maybe trim it down, but by setting yourself, I'm actually going to design a hundred encounters. The first 20 or so are going to be what you usually design, right? And then the first, the next like 20, you're going to get a little more creative. And then like the next 20 are going to suck, right? <laughs> 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 it's suddenly getting really hard to think of what you haven't already thought of. And then you'll gotta struggle through. And then the last 20 are gonna be like weird off the wall, really creative stuff because you've forced yourself to do so many permutations of the same idea. So it can be a way of breaking out of kind of classic fantasy tropes and or classic genre, search genre here, I usually work in fantasy, right? But, and getting into stuff that actually is more unique and more true to you.
0: I can imagine that can be even harder when you are doing something that's already pretty niche, like you mm-hmm. are doing it's steampunk horror. And here's your random encounter table of 100 things like that's going to be gonna even be more difficult yeah, than just generic fantasy. But or aren't you even... going to have such an idea of your genre by the time you're done, right? <laughs> that's actually a really good point.
2: Like, what think... is steampunk horror to you? By the yeah. end of writing 100 things that can happen, in you, you're going to have a good idea.
0: There is okay I brought up steampunk horror and I forgot that I have a game on my bookshelf that is steampunk horror which does have random tables it's a steampunk religious horror it's kind of yeah it's um, it's written by a friend of mine um, and it's he's an Episcopalian priest so he knows a lot about this stuff now he's not the only writer on it but he's like one of the one of the creators and there are random things that can happen when you draw a doom card and um weird steampunk apocalyptic uh, religious things start happening in your game um so yeah uh, <laughs> maybe maybe it is a good way to like kind of pinpoint because that helped me when i was running the game like oh this is the kind of horror that i should be going for yeah um not like uh not like, ooh, a scary monster popped out, but like, oh, it starts raining blood from the sky and everyone who gets touched by it starts speaking in tongues. Now that's weird.
2: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and maybe not not all hundred maybe make it into the final product, right? You can right. look at your hundred options and go, wow, these are crap and these are crap and be left with, maybe you're left with a D20 table, but it's your mm. 20 best, mm. right? The 20 that you feel are most true to the game and the story you want to tell. Yeah, so that can about, be a way of using that as a tool.
1: I was about to say, like, yeah, self-editing yep. becomes, mm-hmm. you know, and but it, and, and then if you need a table, if you need a table, that's going to be 100. Like, that's the nature of the product, that it's going to provide that many options. Well, maybe you need to design 150. Maybe you do. Um, and then And then whittle back.
2: Although, if you do that, then you have my respect because, <laughs> I mean, I've designed probably 700 non-combat encounters at this point. And, yeah, the 60s and 70s are slump.
0: <laughs> uh, I like, in like I, I mentioned this before, too, sometimes you have your random encounters within a, an adventure that you're working on, too. Sometimes you need to be very specific to the story that you're writing as well. Like if you have a random rumor table, um, which I am obsessed with in a game, I love a random rumor. I oh, love, yeah. I love fake rumors that the players then latch onto. Yes, you have to really think about like what are the implications that the GM will have. Like what, what will the GM and players do with this information once they have it, and how does it fit the overall story? Um, And thinking about that, too, when you edit down your lists, um, I think is a is a helpful thinking about the audience is always a helpful Mm -hmm. exercise. um, Oh, yeah. One of my
2: favorite things was giving at a convention game, giving everybody a card Mm -hmm. with a random rumor on it and being like, you know, this, you don't know if it's true or false. I will tell you that some of them are true and some of them are false. And not everybody got to bring up their random Thing, but a lot of them did. And it's a really cool way to take a convention game, right? You no, know, people don't really have a tie to the story. They've come with their pre-made character and they're gonna do what they can do. But now they have a tie to the world because they know something about it. Sounds great. I love I'm gonna writing. steal I'm that. Too.
0: I'm running, um, I'm running a game of uh means of magic at origins, where they are going to be in a giant warehouse. They're all going to be trying to find something. I'm gonna include that rumors about yeah. the warehouse
2: rumors about the warehouse or you've heard that something is in this warehouse right
0: yeah that's the the point they they're all after something specific in the warehouse um which they will decide at the table but maybe maybe I won't have them decide maybe I will give them a random card
2: or maybe like they know something like you could do with a heist you know Mm -hmm. you know this thing about the security system you know this thing about the guard right like Mm.
0: it's
2: a way to case the joint before you. That's, actually yeah <laughs>
0: you know that the most recent passcode was this yeah and watch as they put in the wrong passcode and trip the system
2: <laughs> exactly right you know that some some of your information is good and some of it isn't and setting that expectation beforehand i think is really important like because if people think that all their information is good then yeah. that's not fun when it's revealed that it isn't but it's particularly for setting the scene with some information it's like this is what you've heard may or not may not be true And specifically being like some of it is you may have truth in your hand.
0: It's a good way to to stew um discord in Mm -hmm. in the game too. Like, oh, you're all looking for the rat. There's there's some sort of mole, some sort of informant. Here are things that you've noticed recently about the other people at the table. Is it going to be (laughs) is it going to matter or not? Um Yeah.
2: Or like (laughs) um my plot. Oh right, giving people Some people might have the same rumor, right? Mm, Yeah. But something might be only known to one person. Well, does that mean it's bad information? Or does that mean it's really good information? (laughs) Or what if two people have contradicting rumors? Well, now what? Who's right?
0: (laughs) So random tables are useful for making (laughs) making your players fight. Uh
2: (laughs) or interact role play right
1: <laughs>
0: <Correct>.
1: <laughs> one of the things too is to keep in mind depending on what you're designing is is there a a level of balance that needs to be in the random table you know and you can have things broken out like if you have you, you could have random tables for magic items where here's a table for common ones. Here's a table for uncommon items. Here's a table for rare. And so like, you know that you're not going like, to overload a party with the more powerful, rarer magic items. Um, or is are you designing a game where, you know, throw caution to the wind and like that's all in one table and there's an equal chance of any of that stuff. One of my favorite kinds of random tables um, from way back in second edition, playing a wild mage in D&D mm, yeah. when he had a D100 yes. random table and it ranged from butterflies pour out of your mouth to everything around you is on fire yeah there was an equal chance of either one of those happening yeah I love, I, that.
0: I love wild magic it's one of my favorites I love I love playing with wild magic in my games and rolling off those random tables it's fun. <laughs> so fun
1: we had a character survive because of a ridiculous random he decided he was going to sacrifice himself and his random surge caused him to survive.
2: That's awesome. That well, was, that's I still so it's perfect. perfect.
1: It's, it's one of those that I, that fit w- that stuck with me. We were in a city. It was overrun with sons of Caius, which are like these undead that like spit worms and things at you, that get in you and they infect you and you become a son of Caius. Um, and he, what the wizard was off by himself had gotten separated He was surrounded. He was low on hit points. He cast a spell in order to like clear a path for people to get out, but he knew that he was never going to get there. It was going to help the group, but he wasn't going to get there and he was going to get overrun and killed. And his random surge was a wall of fire in a circle centered on him, 10 foot radius. And it put up a barrier that kept all the sons of Caius out. And we were able to go get him.
0: That's pretty cool. That's awesome. (laughs) That's a good story moment. That's an excellent story moment.
1: It's, it's over. It's, it's, you know, over 20 years old. And I remember it, you know, that's not perfect detail by any means, but I remember that that is one of my more detailed memories of 20 plus years ago.
2: Well, that's the joy of random, right? Like it didn't have to happen that way, but it did. And like, there are diceless role-playing games. They, and those are great for like their niche, but if, The moment dice are involved, you're embracing that there's an element of random chance in your game. Like, that's why you have them. And that makes a good die roll feel so good because it couldn't, it could have happened not that way, right? Now it's exciting because it did.
1: Oh, there was such a small chance because you only had a Just one in tw- like a one in twenty chance of getting a, a wild search in the first place,
2: mm. and
1: then there was a one in a hundred chance that that effect was going to happen.
2: <laughs> yeah, like that's extraordinary, and that's
1: like part of the joy
2: <laughs> of a random yeah. encounter is it's it actually is random. Like it feels it feels very different to say, like we roll the dice and everyone's like baited breath waiting to see what it is, compared to I'm going to spend a resource to make this effect happen. That has a different emotional consequence, right?
0: Oh, this is inspiring me to put a random table in uh, to beach episode, which I'm still <laughs> wrapping up. I think it would work really well. I actually ran a beach things. Um, Do it. You throw in. Um,
2: <laughs> it takes up very little space and it opens up a whole lot of space in the game. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and for people who, for for the person who's getting that product and doesn't like random tables it doesn't eat up a lot of space they don't feel like they're buying a product that like suddenly like oh this is all stuff i don't want to use
2: yeah you can ignore them really easily too which is good
1: yeah they're very easy Yeah,
2: just read them and take it i like six and and i like nine and i like mm, two is okay but i'm gonna change it a little bit and i'm gonna use that and boom now i have a list of encounters that they're gonna encounter that's fine too you don't have to roll
0: (laughs) Sarah, this has been a really fun conversation. Uh, Thank you for joining us today.
2: Yeah, this is awesome.
0: (laughs) Where can we find you in all of your random tables and other things that you do?
2: (laughs) You can find me on Twitter at the underscore DM underscore Sarah. I might change that, honestly. I'm not loving the DM because I don't really want to run the dungeons part of it so much anymore. But that's where I am right now, and you can still find my stuff on DMs Guild at Dungeons and Gin, like the genie, not the drink, and on DriveThruRPG under my name, Sarah Breifogel. Um, I have a website that I also need to update, so Scholar Sarah ScholarSarah at card.co. And look for Kickstarters. I've finally pretty much fulfilled my first one, Stranger Sites, which... It's not random encounters, exactly. There's no table where you can just roll, but it is a bunch of exploration challenges, new monsters, and little micro settings. And I have another one in the works that title is we're working on finalizing, but it's going to be a big old book of magic items for Level Up 5e. So look for that coming probably in the fall to Kickstarter. Awesome.
0: You can find me on Twitter at Asuka. Um, and you can find my games at wannabegames.com or on drive-through RPG or on itch under the same name, wannabe games. <laughs> Look at you with your consistent branding. I should do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got time. Um, huh. uh, and you can find me at nerdburger Craig on Twitter and at dice camp on Mastodon. Um, the, uh, Kickstarter for, uh, what is light without dark, which is a supplement for good strong hands is ongoing right now. Um, it's funded, and uh, so oh. it's definitely going to happen and everything, so you can check that out. You can also get the core game if you never got around to getting that any nominated role-playing game. Um, good strong hands. Uh, let's see. You can go to the website, which is nerdburgergames.com, and you can pick up uh, stuff at drivethroughrpg.com as well.
0: Are you an indie game designer? Have you released a game since June 1st, 2022? Oh. Would you like to nominate your game for an award? At the time that you hear this, the Indie Groundbreaker Awards, which is an awards show run by the Indie Indie Game Developer Network, is now open. Submissions are open until June 30th. So you can uh, nominate your games if you go to IGDNonline.com slash Groundbreakers. I don't think I should have to spell that out. B-R-E-A-K. That that kind of breaking, um, but yeah. Uh, if if you're an indie game designer, go ahead and take out take a look at the requirements. Um, submit your game if it's after if it's after. Did I say June thirtieth? No, that's right. Yeah, tomorrow is May. To- oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. Brain <laughs> fart.
0: <laughs> May first until May thirtieth. Maybe I'll go back and edit my voice to say May thirtieth. I'll just put that in there. <laughs> But you can find the nomination form there. Um, thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is Avel by Steph Sachs, licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you, Steph Sachs, and thank all of you for listening. And we'll see you back here on next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.